Hello, everyone. Welcome to this morning's episode of the Sense Hour podcast. I am Shane alongside Derek, as always. Hope you're having a great morning. How's it going, Derek? Uh, it's going. It's going. Dropped my daughter off at school. We got another snowstorm happening out here in Muskoka, which seems like an everyday thing now. And uh, yeah, we're getting to the end of February. So hopefully, uh, at some point, the snow will start to melt and the temperature will go uh, up a little bit. And then I'll be doing even better. How about you? Pretty good. I mean, yesterday was pretty bad in Ottawa. I think we're expecting another snowstorm today and tomorrow. But I'm off today, so I don't really care if it snows. I'm not leaving the house. I have a lot of things to do after this. But thank you all for joining us this early in the morning. I think this is the earliest we've recorded in quite some time. But that's what happens when you work and you have other things going on. But, you know, good. Hey, we have a game this tonight. 7 o'clock started against Montreal, game two. Uh, the first game, I think, went a lot better than we all expected. Let's be honest. It, I don't think any of us really expected to win that game after the debacle Seven, that was. Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll jump right in, into it. Uh, we'll jump actually we'll, with the, the most heated conversation that's going on in Sense Twitter right now. That's the, the spear to Stutzla's by Philip Deneau. Uh, he's not getting suspended by the sounds of it. He'll be in tonight's lineup. What, what's your expectation to s- the outcome of what's happening tonight for that? Uh, you know what? Like looking at the replay in slow motion, it looks bad. It probably looks worse than maybe it was. Um, you know, not to defend to know at all because I, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if it was a dirty play. I don't know if it was intentional. He was turned around and it, it doesn't look good when you look at it in slow motion. In real time, I don't think it was necessarily a spear. It was maybe more of a, an inadvertent high stick with a bit of a poking action going on. It, it's bad, no question, but I don't think it's bad enough to warrant a suspension, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think you're one of the few people that I've seen say that it hasn't warranted suspension. I don't know, man. Player, the Department of Player Safety has been such a joke the last couple of years that I don't even know what's a suspension anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't get my hopes up, but I'm just like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, well, you know, we'll we'll fight about it in the second game. Uh, and I'm expecting <laughs> there to be uh, to be fisticuffs today versus versus Montreal. I think with how close the game was, they didn't want to risk taking unnecessary penalties, which is probably why we didn't see anything. Um, after that incident from Haley or, or good Branson or Watson. But I think early in game two tonight, we'll see some sort of retaliation from one of those three players. Well, and you kind of hope so. That's what those guys are here for, right? I mean, those guys are literally here to pr- protect the players like Stutzla and, you know, some of those younger pieces, Norris, some of the younger, maybe inexperienced, less strong pieces that Ottawa has physically strong. Um, so, you know, those players are there for a reason and, and that's why, 
And I think Stutzla took a ton of abuse. We talked about it before the Montreal series, but in that prior series, Stutzla was all over the ice taking cross checks, taking tons of abuse. So someone's got to step up and come to his defense. But once again, when you're in a close game like that and you're trying to squeeze out a couple points, you don't want to take a stupid penalty. You don't want to do anything that's going to cost your team uh, two points or you know potentially taking one away from Montreal. So uh, I think it was the right decision not responding in last game. And uh, I'm sure we'll see a response probably immediately in this game before the score is anything. Yeah, that's for sure. I think we'll, uh, we'll see kind of the fourth line out there uh, for both teams just to get it over and done with within the first like five minutes personally I think that's kind of where we'll we'll see something happen but you know that was a great game some lucky some lucky bounces let's not kid ourselves mm-hmm. you know Batherson and Norris's goals were lucky but could Ch- I, I don't think I've seen Ottawa dominate an overtime like they did on on Mon- or on su- uh, Sunday uh Kachuk was all over the ice they had great chances he finally gets a goal uh, again and there's really nothing bad to say about how they played on Sunday night. No, I mean, Kachuk was, he was all over the ice basically for the whole game, but yeah, more so in that overtime, that was a fun game. I'll be honest. I had a lot of fun watching that game. It was only a, what, two, oh, three, three, two game. I was going to say two, one. It was a three, two game, but, uh, but it was an exciting three, two game. Uh, and I thought Ottawa, yeah, they were dominant during stretches of the game. You've seen a lot of, positive signs from some of the young players. Eric Brandstrom had arguably his best game in the NHL. I know, you know, there was nothing to show for it in terms of points, but just the way that he played, he looked like Thomas Shabbat offensively at times. Um, He had that one really nice rush and guess where it came from the right side of the ice. (laughs) I mean, you're starting to see maybe he is a little bit more comfortable, like he's saying on that right side. And if that's the case, then it certainly looks promising for the future of, you know, maybe Sanderson and and Brandstrom pairing up. But for now, they want to, you know, get his feet wet on his comfortable side, comfortable side of the ice, give him more minutes, gradually increase his minutes and his role. And then uh, we'll see what Eric Brandstrom could do. But at least last game, I thought he looked like the defenseman that we acquired for Mark Stone. Um, if he can become that player every game, if that's something he could do consistently, then uh, I think the trade is good for Ottawa. You know, you have a player in Mark Stone who didn't want to sign long term and you ended up landing a star defenseman out of it, you know, who's 21 years old. Um, it's probably not a bad trade. I mean, as good as Mark Stone is, I don't see that as a bad trade. I don't know about you. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to look at Branstrom. Like he's 21, he'll be 22 entering next season we generally don't see defensemen kind of take off until that age and you know McCarr and Hughes coming in at 20 and and kind of taking the lead by storm they're they're the exception they're not necessarily the rule you know we we need to remember that Victor Hedman was considered a bust up until like year four year five uh for his career and the same thing with McKinnon where he showed glimpses but you're kind of starting to doubt yourself of could this kid live up to the number one expectations. I think we've put way too much pressure on Branstrom's shoulders. Maybe he feels it because he was traded for stone and he's like, okay, I need to live up to all this hype. I would love to see him kind of just play his game, which he did on, on Sunday night. I think if he plays his game consistently, he'll be a top 
four defensemen and we'll be solid on in our top four when Sanderson comes up here and when uh, Bernard Docker comes up and when Lassie Thompson moves up. Absolutely. And I think just, you know, it's only a matter of time before Eric Brandstrom's on that number one power play unit as well. You know, it was the same thing with Stutzla where it seemed, you know, everyone was saying, come on, put him on the number one unit, put him on the number one unit. Eventually they put him on the number one unit and, uh, you know, he's going to stick around on that unit now. Um, now the power play continues to struggle. Um, I think it is, it was it 0 for 24, I believe in their last 24 power plays, they have not scored. Um, now it started to look better near the end of the game. Uh, the, the first power play was horrible. And then I think the second and third one from there looked really good. They were really moving the puck around. They still refused to switch Stutzla and Batherson to give them one-time options. And they're still doing the slingshot drop pass to enter the zone. Is that driving you crazy at this point? So uh, so the, the slingshot drop pass, yes, 100%. It's driving me crazy. But the Stutzla-Batherson isn't because if you watch Stutzla play – he does all his work from the half boards from that left side half boards. Yeah. He feels the most comfortable there. So it's not necessarily the worst option. Personally, I would rather have uh, a left shot on the right side if possible to set up that one timer. But I think the way that puck movement's going, I don't think it's necessarily an option for them. I don't think they're, they're focusing on that one timer. I think they're trying to just get the puck moving and you've seen the players move around, but that slingshot drop pass definitely does not work. But Batherson has still been our best, best entry guy. You give him the puck, him and Stutzla have been our best entry guys on the first man unit the entire year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I agree with what you said with Stutzla on the half wall on the left side. You can't take him off that spot. He's not a traditional one-timer finisher guy anyway. He's a playmaker primarily, but he also has a really good wrist shot and he uses his wrist shot off that left half wall, not um, not as a one-timer uh, whatsoever. I've never seen him use it. A lot of people are saying, oh, he's like a Pedersen kind of thing. You need to put him in that spot and he'll one-time it in. That's not anything I've seen, at least to this point, even watching in Mannheim. That's not Tim Stutzla. That's not what he is. Um Drake Batherson happens to be a right shot. If he was a left shot, it would almost work out perfectly. Um, maybe you could put Josh Norris in that spot, but he has kind of whiffed on a lot of one-timers, even though it was something he was good at in Belleville. Uh, for whatever reason, he's just not quite there yet. Uh, I noticed they're utilizing the bumper position um, for Dadnov. You've seen Brady Kachuk feed him a couple of pucks. You've seen Stutzla get it to him a couple of times. Um, and then, you know, everything right now runs through Stutzlaw on that left half wall because he's such an amazing passer. And we've seen that last game. Like, he fed it through, like, three sets of skates and sticks on the tape of Batherson, and he didn't know what to do with it. He, I think he was as surprised as anybody that it actually hit his tape. But he does – he probably does need to tone it down as far as how hard he's passing the puck because I don't think anyone can receive it. Yeah, I don't think it's intentional either, though. I think it's literally he's using the power to with speed, right? It comes they're, – they're a package. I just don't think players have are used to playing with that kind of player. It, it's an adjustment for everyone. You have a player that can pass the puck that hard, that quick. It's an adjustment for everyone. And I think Batherson, with them playing on the same line, have started to get used to it. But you also don't expect it sometimes. And when it, you don't expect it, it catches you off guard – 
and that kind of pass is hard to handle if you're if you're getting it farther from you than if you were getting a one timer. Personally, I would love to see Nick Paul on the first unit setting up that one timer on the right side because I believe he's also a left hand shot. So if yeah. you were to put him on the first unit just for the one timing purposes, and he does have a wicked wrister. Personally, I think you'd have more success with Paul than you would Batherson right now. And he could win you offensive zone faceoffs. He's their best faceoff man. So that that would actually work out in a lot of different ways. Yeah, um, and it, it's like just that. and I mean, obviously I like seeing the kids play. Cause you know, obviously we've been talking about having the kids play. So, you know, it, it's still a learning curve for everyone, right? Yeah, and, and then you, you could still have a second unit of Batherson, Norris, and eventually Dezingle when he gets there, which uh, doesn't look too bad at all either for a secondary unit. Yeah, I'm excited to see. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Dezingle when he was in Ottawa. Like, I thought he was overrated. He he got boosted with playing with Duchesne. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what he can bring to this team. Yeah, same here. I, I'm excited you know, hopefully when he does arrive, and it still seems like forever away, um, but when he does arrive, uh, maybe they'll consider at that point, if Stutzla's got his feet under him enough, maybe they'll move him to center and see what a line of Stutzla, Dezingle, and Batherson could bring you, because I think that would be just a world of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably one of the, like, the minority of individuals who think Stutzla will not play as a full-time center in the NHL just because of our, yeah. our depth at center. Like you're going to ask Stutzla to, to beat out a guy like Shane Pinto, Josh Norris, Ridley Gregg, uh, Colin White. So those are four guys that he has to beat out for that center spot. And our, our wing, specifically our left wing depth, isn't very good. It's it's Kachuk, Formanton, and Abramoff, really. You can add in Parker Kelly on the left side. But overall, our left wing depth isn't the greatest. So I think Stussel will stay at a at left wing unless we go out and get a solid top six left wing player. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'm right with you, actually, Shane, on that. That's one of the things we agree on. I think um, there's a lot of pressure from people to move Stutzla to the middle and see what he could do there. I personally, I see him as a left winger as well for the long term. Um, I think they're definitely going to try him at center. I don't know if center is suited for well suited for his game. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is Brady Kachuk. I mean, Brady Kachuk had an exceptional game, um, but here's a few things that Brady Kachuk either leads the league in or is in second place. It's amazing. So penalties drawn number one in the league with 17 penalties drawn in 20 games. He's almost drawing a penalty per game. Um, his differential this year is a plus nine in that category. So he basically he's drawing nine more penalties than he's taking, um, which is great for him because that was an issue before. He, he would draw a lot of penalties, but he would also take a lot of dumb penalties. So kind of balanced out. Now that's not the case. He's drawing a lot of penalties, taking a lot less. Uh, so number one in penalties drawn, uh, even strength shots on goal. No one's close to Brady Kachuk. He has 69 even strength shots on goal. You know who's second, Shane? Uh, Connor, Connor McDavid. And you know how many he has? 49. 20 shots less than Brady Kachuk. I mean, this is crazy stuff. High danger chances, number one, not close. 
Um, hits, he's number two, one hit behind Radko Gudis, you know, <laughs> who's an absolute goon, uh, with 83 hits this season. That is some impressive underlying numbers for Brady Kachuk. Yeah, and I think if you ask him about it, he'll be pissed off because he's not scoring more. In his mind, he should have 20 goals by now. And I mean, the he's worst. not wrong either. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he, like it's not, he's not wrong to think that too because he does lead the league in high danger chances. He's had plenty of opportunities. It's the same with Connor Brown. It seems like Connor oh. Brown is a breakaway a game and he just can't finish. Like, I feel so bad for him because last year he would have popped these. This year he can't buy a goal sometimes. And, and I think that's the thing is that Ottawa's Ottawa is a lot better than our record shows for it if we could just finish more often on the chances that we do get. Because we do generate chances. We just can't find the back. Sometimes it feels like there's a, a brick wall behind the goalie and it's just constantly or, or a magnet or a force field behind the goalie just like, nope, the pucks don't come near here. And it's, it's frustrating. If I'm coach DJ Smith, I'm getting Connor Brown. I'm pulling him aside and I'm saying, you're working on breakaways and shootouts this entire practice, like the whole time. Come up with something different because all he's doing is a backhand, forehand shot and it's hitting the goalie in the crest every single time. He even bailed out of a breakaway. I don't know if you noticed that. His in the, I think it was in the second period against the Canadians, shorthanded, he would have had a breakaway and then he just stopped skating and dumped it in. He's like, no, forget it. It's embarrassing at this point. <laughs> and then lo and behold, in overtime, who comes on the ice at the perfect time? It's Connor Brown on a clear-cut breakaway. There was no one in his vicinity. It wasn't even close. And he did the same move and hit the blocker. It was like, really? <laughs> this is just yeah. embarrassing at this point. It's Eric Condra stuff. Yo, ba- yeah, basically. All we need is him missing open nets. <laughs> but, you know, going like we've talked about Brandstrom. We've talked about Kachuk. Uh, and Brown, you know who you know who has has had a really quiet good year, Josh Norris. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he's now tied with Kaprasov. Or, or uh, just he pulled behind. in front again. So yeah. he was he was, and now Kaprasov got two points last. Yeah, I, I I knew he got a goal. I wasn't sure if he got an, a, another point. But yeah, he's second in rookie scoring. Are we looking at uh, the possibility of Norris winning the? Like everyone was talking about Kaprasov and, and Stutzla winning the Calder. Is it possible that Josh Norris sneaks in and wins it this year? Man, that would be something. Winning the rookie, um, you know, at whatever they call it in the American League, just the, the best rookie. I don't know if there's a title for that award. but uh, I don't think so. I think it's just rookie of the year. Yeah, rookie of the year in the American League. And then following that up with uh, the Calder Trophy in the NHL, that would be... One hell of a start for the Senators. They've already reaped tons of rewards from the Eric Carlson trade. But, I mean, the two players that are really close in rookie scoring, Stutzla and Norris, both come from one trade. It's uh, That's quite something. They're both, you know, hugely impactful players on this team moving forward. And it's nice to see that they're both right up there in rookie scoring. If Ottawa was scoring more, they would probably be up there even more. You know what I mean? Like, they're just thinking back to all the opportunities that Ottawa actually missed and how bad their offense has been this year. If they were on better teams offensively, I don't think it would be close. I think they would be way up there in terms of rookie scoring, but, uh, but they still had nice seasons. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of unfair to judge a 21 year old and a 19 year old versus a 23 year old who was playing pro hockey 
over in the KHL the last couple of years. 24 now. Kaprizov turned 24. So, like, just recently, recently. Oh, that means they need to update the NHL app because uh, on the NHL, they have him as 23 still. Yeah, I looked this up the other day. Let's see. Kaprizov. I'm pretty sure his birthday. No, sorry. He turns 24 in April. It's coming up. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, basically a 24 because I know Norris turns 23, I think, in May. So, you have a or yeah, 22, 22, so you have, 22 in May. Yeah, yeah. So you have a 23 year old season, a 21 year old season, and technically an 18 year old season. Technically Stutzler is in his 18 year season. Yeah. Cause the season started before his 19th birthday. So, you know, there, there's two years or three years between Stutzla and Norris. And then, you know, five years, or yeah, five years between yeah. Stutzla and Kaprasov. Like Kaprasov is most likely going to win it. You know, he's one of the, he's a top six forward in Minnesota. He's having a solid year, but just because Norris and Stutzler don't win, it doesn't mean they're not having solid rookie years. It's just unfortunate that Kaprasov, it's like the year Panarin won it. Like right. he was 24 yeah, and he won the, the Calder. So it's just, it happens. Yeah. That's, that's the way the trophy set up. You know, you could be that old and still win a Calder trophy as the rookie of the year, but um, I think you're you're at a bit of a disadvantage. Like you really have to show the NHL that you were far and away the best player. Um, but I think Kaprizov is in a spot in Minnesota where he's able to do that. Um, like you said, he's coming right from the pros, from the KHL, and he's playing the most prominent role you can have. He is one hell of a player. I'll admit that. I've watched him play, and I definitely notice him. Uh, I don't know if it's the fact that he's wearing Connor McDavid's number, but <laughs> he he looks really good out there. Yeah, uh, I mean, he was also born in 97 because they're the same age. Uh, but it's kind of funny because I think Wayne Gretzky, the only trophy he did not win was the Calder because he played in the WHA uh, a year before joining the NHL and they deemed him ineligible because he technically wasn't a rookie. <laughs> kind of crazy how you can play pro hockey in Europe for like five years, come over to the NHL and still be considered a rookie now. Yeah, maybe they got to look into that a little bit more, but it is what it is, and it's just a trophy. It really means nothing. Obviously speaking, Norris and Stutzler are having fantastic seasons. They look really, really good and very promising for the future, so uh, nothing to worry about there from a Sense fan perspective. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is some trade rumors. Uh, oh, I like trade rumors. Always buzzing with trade rumors, um, but one of, your, one of your favorite teams, the Calgary Flames, is potentially, and I don't know, you know, where exactly this came from, and I still don't really believe that it's true, but potentially moving on from Matthew Kachuk, is that, you know, is that something you believe is going to happen? I know the Flames want to shake things up and, and they want to try something different with a bit of a different group. My thought initially was that maybe Johnny Hockey would be more so the guy being moved out, not Matthew Kachuk. What's your take, Shane? Is Matthew Kachuk coming to the Ottawa Senators? So my so my understanding of the situation is Trevlin is looking at the roster, being like, okay, we've had the same core for the last couple of years, Giordano, Monaghan, Goudreau, Kachuk, and they haven't had much to show for it. And now they're sputtering this year. Like they're, you know, people expected myself to be top three, top two in this division. They have the goaltending. Like Markstrom has played well. They just haven't had consistent you know, forward play and defense play. 
So you look at as a GM, you look at okay, what do I need to do? Who needs to be moved? Do I need to shake up the core? And I think that's where the Monahan, from my understanding, was brought up on the uh, Thirty One Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman that Monahan and Goudreau could be moved depending on the deal to kind of engage in a retool, bring in some prospects, whatever. Bennett's in that list, and then I think um, Haley retweeted something or tweeted it saying that, you know, Matthew Kachuk is kind of lost in the mix, but he might want out. Uh, and so that, that got the ball rolling right there. Yeah. And again, I don't know how, how much that is. Um, I think she retweeted something that said it. I don't think it was actually her. Uh, but I think if you remember when he was a, an RFA, he, he was in Ottawa. Uh, apparently rumors was that he came to Ottawa with Brady Kachuk because Brady Kachuk was here for development camp, uh, helping out and whatnot, working with the players. And my understanding is that Kachuk was Matthew was in Ottawa at some point before signing the deal with, uh, with Calgary. And my understanding was Dorian was willing to put in an offer. Matthew Kachuk was going to sign it, but he felt like, uh, the contract that he was going to sign, like he was going to accept in Ottawa, what they would have matched in Calgary. Hmm. So there was no point. There was no point. So I don't really know. I don't know how true that is. It was just rumors that I heard at the time. Uh, so I'm not sure. Like, don't quote me on that being 100% like accurate. But I would not be surprised if within the next, if if Matthew Kachuk goes to RFA next uh, in two years. Uh, in I think the summer of 22. So yeah, next summer he, I think Ottawa will put in an offer sheet on him. All right. Fair enough. It would have to be, yeah, it would have to be significant. Again, the, the more significant the offer sheet is, the more you have to give up. So, I mean, those things are kind of a, you know, a risky play. Um, but what's your best offer? Let's say you're Pierre Dorian you hear that Matthew Kachuk is on potentially on the trade block and you want to reunite the Kachuk brothers to put them together on the same team. Give me your best realistic offer that you think Calgary might go for, or does one even exist from an Ottawa perspective? I think you're looking at Chris Tierney, Logan Brown, probably a first round pick, a second round pick. And honestly, I would put in Formanton into that. If you're bringing in if you're bringing in another if you're bringing in Matthew Kachuk, it kind of forces Formington under the lineup because there's real no place to put him. If you're bringing in another left winger, uh, I know he can play right, but realistically, okay, who's he going to move on the right side? So, you know, Logan Brown, Chris Tierney, Alex, Alex Formington, and you know, a first round pick and a second round pick are probably what get like uh, that's my comfortable offer. Kind of something like, you know, the, the Carlson trade, honestly. So like a package of basically quantity, like a quantity package that has the potential to work out for the Flames, especially yeah. with the first, if the first round pick is this year, it's basically a lock to oh, be. 100%. A, you know. I would give them this year's first round pick because I don't think anyone in that draft is going to be better than Matthew Kachuk. No, no, neither do I. But I, I think we maybe we undervalue the draft class a little bit, and we might think differently when it's time for the draft because this draft is likely going to be pushed back. 
So it's going to give everyone an opportunity to really see what these players can do. And there's a few players in the draft that I really like at this point already. But do I think they're going to be the next, you know, Matthew Kachuk who's capable of a point per game season? No. Um, and, and, you know, how, how special would it be to have the Kachuk brothers on the same team? And how also, annoying would it be for the Leafs and, and Montreal Canadiens? <laughs> yeah, and it's also about how will it, how long are these players going to, like, take to produce, right? You know, if you're looking at a player in, in 21, if you don't pick until 22, cool. That, that's all fine and dandy. But Ottawa wants to be competitive, right? They want to start getting into competitive hockey. And if honestly, if I'm Melnick, I'm telling Pierre Dorian, try getting Kachuk. Try put like literally, I'm okay with you trading for Kachuk. Uh, because what better way to win the fan base back than bringing in Matthew Kachuk and then signing both him and Brady together on the same day? Whenever, whenever is possible. That would definitely make Brady lock up a long-term deal. Like if he's, if he's united with his brother on the same team, they're both signing long-term. There's no question about it. Um, I, I'm interested to see what, you know, if Calgary is actually trading Matthew Kachuk, I'm interested to see what the offers would look like. Personally, I think the offer would be even richer than the one you posed. Like Logan Brown, I'm not sure how much, you know, how much, value does Logan Brown have Chris Tierney same kind of thing he's had a bit of an off year he he's a decent player that can kill penalties he drives me crazy because he's so slow um he, he really doesn't you know he doesn't move around the ice gracefully whatsoever um there's not a lot to love about the package you sent Alex Formanton has the potential and then of course that first the first round pick which would be probably, you know, number one, two, or three, depending on how they're doing the lottery format too, that that could play a big part because if they're reverting to the old format and Ottawa's still in dead last at the end of the season, that basically locks them up for first overall. I mean, it, it's pretty damn close to a lock. I think they would have uh, like a 75% chance of winning first overall. So it, it would definitely raise that value of that pick. Um depending on, you know, if Calgary sees a player that they really like within that pick, uh, maybe an Owen Power um, on defense would be something that they'd be interested in. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting pick. I think personally, I think it would cost you one of your best, best prospects. Um, you know, I don't want to put Tim Stutzla's name out there, but he is a left winger. Um, do you look at more of a, you know, similar to the Mark Stone trade where you're doing more of a less quantity and more quality for Matthew Kachuk. So maybe a Tim Stutzla and a second would get it done. Um, but then I again, I, I wouldn't give up Tim Stutzla for, for Matthew Kachuk. Neither would I. <laughs> I would, I would look at like, if, if I'm looking at, you know, at prospects, like high end prospects, you know, the two that come to mind really are Shane Pinto and, and Bernard Docker. Yeah. Or, or Ridley Craig and Bernard Docker. I think, Bernard Docker will probably be the guy that if they're looking for a defensive prospect, that could be the guy they look after. Uh, but I don't know. Personally, I'm not even – personally, I would rather them go for Monaghan than Kachuk. Really? Yeah, 100%. Wow. And, and it's not it's – That's not, a shocker. Hey, so it's not because I think Monaghan uh, – or I think Kachuk isn't beneficial to the team. But realistically, like honestly, how how far are we 
for seeing Pinto in the NHL or Craig in the NHL. You know, yes, they could they could compete next season if they decide like if Pinto goes pro, he could compete, but he's most likely going to go to Belleville for at least for a little bit. You know, Craig could probably compete for a spot, but he'll probably go back to Brandon uh, next season. So realistically, you're looking at our centers. We're most likely going to lose Tierney in the expansion draft. So we're looking at what Colin White and Josh Norris as our two centers under contract next next year. Monahan comes in. He's on a he has two years left, at, like as of next year. So realistically, you could cut bait after that. You could trade him, whatever. You don't have to commit to him long term if you feel like Pinto and Greg are ready to move up, whatever the case. But imagine Stutzla, Monahan, and uh, Batherson together. Yeah, that would definitely be a, a an improvement, a huge improvement from what they have now. Um, I think. You know, Monaghan wouldn't cost you nearly as much, in my opinion. I, I don't think he's the same player that he was in his rookie season. He's another player that kind of struggles to get around the ice a little bit, but he has really good awareness, good uh, good hands. He, he was outstanding in the playoffs last year. Um, I think he's an interesting player, especially if he's on a line with Patherson and Stutzla. I think that's a nice fit. Um, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind that the more I think about it, just because for the simple fact that it's probably not going to cost you an arm and a leg, like you could probably realistically send Logan Brown in the first overall pick or first round pick this year. And that's close to enough to get you Monahan. No, I, I don't even think you need to send a first. I don't know how much value Monahan really has, uh, in terms of, of prospect, like I'd rather send, you know, a Bromoff and Brown in a second round pick for Monaghan because there's a chance that, you know, a Beneers is better than Monaghan, right? That's that's very true, yeah. So if you're looking at a short and a long-term game, you know, Logan Brown has probably played his last season in Ottawa. I yeah. don't see him being in Ottawa start in camp next year. Abramov has done really well. I like Abramov. But I don't see him, don't see him getting a really good opportunity in Ottawa, especially on the right side. And I don't know how comfortable he is on the left side. So you trade him to Calgary. You give Calgary two, you know, tier two or or low tier one prospects. Give him a second round pick for Monahan. They don't have to retain any salary. They're not gaining a lot of salary. You could probably get Logan Brown under a million for two years. And uh, as an RFA, and the same with a Brahma, so you're saving quite a bit in cap. Getting a second round pick, I don't see why they would say no. Yeah, that's that's a nice proposal. I, I mean, from an Ottawa perspective, I'd be all over it. Um, you know, even though it's it, Monahan's not a player that I love, um, but like you said, he's signed on for the next couple of seasons. It's definitely a huge improvement over what they have now. Uh, and if it works out, then you can re-sign him. If it doesn't work out, you could easily flip him, and he'd still have lots of value. So uh, you could easily return your assets. So it's it's really not a bad move if you're Pierre Dorian and you're trying to uh, trying to escalate that process and, and speed the rebuild up a little bit more and become a competitive team as early as next season. Yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Once we're back, we still have more trade rumors to go because there's also another team uh out in the central now uh looking at maybe offloading some contracts so we're gonna take a quick break when we're back we'll talk that
interesting. Like, I like Pinto, and I, I remember everyone, like... And this is the thing that I think Sense fans need to start realizing. We need to stop looking at the draft. We really need to stop looking at a player being like, he was drafted way too early. You know who you can make an argument who was drafted way too late? Mark Stone. Sixth round pick, and now he's making $9.5 million. Pajot, drafted, I think, in the fifth round and making $5 million. Hoffman... Welcome to the Sense Hour Podcast, your number one source for Sense content, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, hosted by Shane from Ottawa and... And Derek from Muskoka, almost near Leaf Country out here. Um, but I think Clevin was, was right up there because they traded up to get him uh, with the Leafs. And again, they, they passed up some talented players for a guy like Clevin. But now Clevin's all of a sudden looking like a talented player himself. Like that goal that he scored um, in the third game in UND was outrageous. It was just not something you're expecting from the Twitter scouts, especially. <laughs> Sends our podcast, your number one stop for all your Senators content. New episodes coming at you every Monday and Thursday, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Have a good one. Stay safe. Take care. And we are back. Thank you all for sticking with us through that promo. Give me a little credit. That was the first time ever creating something like that. So it's a little rough. My bad. But just want to let you know we do have a jersey contest going on through the Hockey Podcast Network. Have your chance to win a new Ottawa Senators jersey. Head on over to our Twitter page. It is our pinned tweet. Follow us. Follow the Hockey Pod Net. Retweet the, the original post. And the show with the most retweets will uh, we'll announce a winner. So, obviously, tell your friends to retweet it. Even if they're not, leave, even if they're not sense fans, just retweet it. Get us to the most. I think we came in like third or fourth last time we did this. So, you're all out there. Let's do it. Also, remember DraftKings promo code THPN for new users. And we're back into the trade talks as always because we love trade rumors. The Nashville Predators hmm. are rumored to be listening on offers for anyone that is not named Roman Yossi, Pekka Rene, or Ryan Ellis. So I put out a tweet a couple days ago when I heard that, saying the three players, in my opinion, that come to mind for an Ottawa trade are Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne. I know a lot of people <laughs> are, are iffy on both of Johansson and Duchesne. Forsberg would be a great addition. So which, which player out of Nashville – would you like uh, on in Ottawa by the end of the season or before the start of next season, if they decided to go into a full retool? Yeah. So definitely not Matt Duchesne. We've seen that before. <laughs> um, not Ryan Johansson. Like the guy just really doesn't shoot the puck. Um, and I think Ottawa needs a finisher. Obviously speaking, Philip For- Forsberg is the best player on that list. Uh, the only risk thing there is I don't know how serious Nashville is about actually wanting to trade their best player. Cause like to me, aside from Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg's their best player. I'm not sure why they would want to protect Pekka Rene at this stage in his career. Um, over a guy like Philip Forsberg, who's been, you know, outstanding for that team every year. Uh, he's, he's one of the more skilled players in the league. I mean, it would cost you a, an awful lot to trade for Forsberg. I don't see there being any fit, to be honest, in Ottawa, but could they acquire someone like Ryan Johansson for a lot cheaper? Yeah, they could. Uh, Would he be an improvement? Yeah, he definitely would right now. 
not my favorite player in the league. That's for sure. Um, he has a bit of a perimeter mentality, a bit of a softer mentality. Um, from what I remember from watching him play, I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of Nashville games. Um, so I, I haven't seen him play for quite some time, but from what I remember, he was not a player that I liked very much. He is a good playmaker. He can create offense. No question. He has a lot of skill. He was traded for Seth Jones. I mean, he obviously has a lot of skill and would he be a number one center on the senators? Yeah, he would right now. Um, but long-term picture, I don't see him as a real fit. Yeah, and I think he's here for another, like, four years. Definitely not something that Ottawa should be looking at unless they're looking at a guy that they don't care about keeping the cap hit. Like, they they might not uh, care about how much they – like, how much they're paying a guy for the next four years because they need the cap hit. Yeah, they will need it for at least for the next couple of seasons, but you're taking a bit of a risk on when you take a guy who's got four years left, who's possibly on a decline. Like this guy hasn't scored more than 15 goals in, I want to say like the last five seasons. Like it's been a long time since he's been over 15 goals. Yeah. So we have four more years. He's 28. So we have him until he's 32, which isn't necessarily the worst thing. No. Um, like it could definitely be a lot worse. It, like it was not like a Matt Duchesne situation. But yeah, no, you're right. I think that he's never hit. He's hit. He hit 33 and 26 back to back years with Columbus in 13, 14, and 14, 15. And then hasn't hit. Um, I think 15 was his highest after that, right? Yeah, with Nashville in 17, 18. But. You know, he's had, uh, you know, he had over, he had 60 points in 15, 16. He had 61 in 16, 17. Like, he, yeah, he had a 36 point season last year, but everyone in Nashville struggled. He had five points in four playoff games. He's not a finisher. Uh, he's definitely a pat, like, he's definitely a playmaker. He had 56, or he had 50 assists in the 18, 19 season for 64 points. So if you're looking at a guy, if you're looking for a finisher, he's not necessarily the guy you want. But if you're looking for a playmaker, he's a lot like the Joe Thornton type where he can shoot, but he's going to set you up more often than not. And if you look at who he might be playing with, I don't see it being much of a fit because Stutzel is a finisher or Stutzel is a setup guy. Batherson is more of a finisher to a certain extent. So I don't really know where he would fit, but I think he would be a a better – he'd be an upgrade, that's for sure. Yeah, I could see him getting Dadanov going. But, again, like, you know, how, how long is Dadanov going to be here? When you're looking at long-term picture and when they actually want to compete, I think, you know, maybe the best solution is just to be patient because we have seen glimpses with this team as is of looking like a really good team. They're a middle-of-the-pack possession team, so – it really is just a matter of some of your young players coming up and maturing. And we can't forget that this team still has a slew of really, really top tier prospects coming through their system that have not arrived at the NHL yet. And we're just scratching the surface of guys like Norris and Stutzla, like, and Batherson. These are three players that are 
basically, you know, all three of them are top six players on this team. The, the whole core of the defense is going to change over. I mean, you've got your your addition, Sanderson, Brandstrom, who hasn't really arrived yet, um, JBD. Like, the, the whole team is still going to change over. So before they make sort of a reactionary move based on how poorly they've played this season, I think there's a lot of things that have to play out first. Um, and the best, you know, the best method might be just staying patient with the group that you have, because I really do feel like the Senators could definitely build something st- special here. You're seeing a Tim Stutzla. He's, he's playing his 18th year, like you said. This is his 18th season. Yeah, he just turned 19. He's the youngest player in the NHL, and he is going to be a wizard with the puck. Like, just give him that strength. Give him that time to get adjusted to the game. We're already seeing it. He's going to take over. Like, he's going to be right up in the conversation, you know, right up with the top players in the league for the conversation year after year. Give him, a, you know, three years and he'll be there. Yeah, that, that's for sure. I just think it, it, we're not going to see a trade this season that, like, of this magnitude. Obviously, I think it, our offseason, our plans for next season really determine or will be determined by what happens um, between – the, the expansion draft and the draft. You know, if Ottawa if Ottawa loses Tierney, you know, who do they use to replace him? Do they try to go small and sign, you know, bottom six players? Or do they go out and grab a Johansson because they rather him, you know, a 29-year-old over getting a third-line or fourth-line guy, you know, it just depends on on the situation, but I don't think it's out of the question for Ottawa to go out and grab a center uh, outside of maybe signing one to a long term deal. I don't think they'll be comfortable signing, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins yeah. to a long term deal. I think they'll rather go out and grab a center than sign somebody. But again, it's going to be a weird off season. We've seen what Taylor Hall did. Would Ryan Nugent Hopkins be interested in doing something similar with Ottawa if it works out for Taylor Hall? Maybe, you know, maybe he signs a one or two year deal, kind of a, let me show you what I could do for, you know, $6 million for, or $7 million. You could overpay him next year. If you want, you could offer him $8 million, come in, be a number one center and showcase yourself for the rest of the league for the following season and then sign your long-term deal that takes you well into your thirties. Yeah. I mean, I personally think that he's Nugent Hopkins is going to stay in Edmonton because of Ottawa, because I think James Neal is heading to Ottawa in the offseason. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I honestly would not be oh, surprised. No. He was on if, waivers the other day. I would not be surprised if Ottawa looks at buy, like trading for him, getting a prospect or a pick or some collateral to take that contract, and then either you know saying, screw it, we'll keep you on as you know our 13th forward, whatever, they'll bury you in the AHL. Like, uh, uh, kind of like the Islanders have done with Andrew Ladd. They've buried him in the AHL in Bridgeport. Could Ottawa do the same with James Neal, either bury him in Belleville or just buy him out? I don't know. Yeah, but they would reluctantly play him. No, I mean, they would willingly play him in their lineup like they do with like all these veterans that are basically useless now. I think it would be, that's something that would be frustrating. Well, okay. Looking at our, so since we've looked at the roster, for for next year, and I think the only reason why they trade some like trade for a guy like James Neal money, or Louis right? Erickson yeah. is if Pinto doesn't go pro, if he goes back to UND, because 
realistically, we need the money, right? Yeah, we, we have that. to take on salary somewhere. And if you look at, you know, if Brown's not back, okay, he and even if Brown, he, even if he is, yeah. there's no guarantee Brown gets a roster spot. Is James Neal really going to, you know, stop Formanton from playing? Probably not. Like, if Formanton doesn't make the lineup, I guarantee you it's not because of James Neal. It'll be because they have Stutzel on the left wing and Paul on the left wing, and Paul is playing fantastic, and Formanton couldn't beat out Paul, and they don't want Formanton playing, you know, fourth-line minutes right now. It won't be because of James Neal. No one's going to lose a roster spot because of James Neal unless they lose it themselves and James Neal is just there because of money. You know, I, I feel like the Senators would not – we'll see. I feel like they wouldn't trade for James Neal. I, I feel like he's a known locker room cancer. Like he, he definitely has some a bit of a history of being a, a character in the room. And that's something that, again, you know, people talked about with the Tony D'Angelo thing and everyone was all over that. And, you know, some people were saying, oh, yeah, we should just give him another chance and trade for him. And I, I really feel like, you know, the whole premise of this rebuild was built around character. So Ottawa's not going to get a guy that's going to risk the development of the young players and the character of the young players in their locker room. I feel like James Neal has a bit of that reputation, to be honest. Um, we'll see, though. It, you're right. They, they have to add money somewhere. Will it be a veteran player that's going to play at the bottom next season once again? Or will it be a player that they could play at the top of their lineup? Personally, like I... Yeah, well, that would be... See, that would be perfect. I mean, that's a perfect fit for the Senators. And if you want to overpay a player, I have no problem with it. You could overpay them next season. You have to. So overpay Dougie Hamilton, who could play with Thomas Shabbat. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so uh, the Sense Communications just tweeted out that Michael Haley has been recalled from the taxi squad and Eastmoth has been reassigned to the taxi squad. <laughs> a lot uh, of back and forth. Braden Coburn was reassigned to the taxi squad and Logan Shaw was reassigned to Belleville, which isn't surprising. It was just a. Um, so Haley's uh, coming in again. Yeah. It's just funny because 22 hours ago, Ford and Artem and Nisimov has been recalled from the taxi squad and corresponding move forward. Michael Haley has been reassigned to the team's taxi squad. God damn it, guys. <laughs> they just switched it up. Someone made a wrong phone call there. I don't know. I think they're expecting um, something to go on. That They're like, oh, we'll make sure we're ready just in case. Because they don't want Kachuk fighting. They probably don't want Paul fighting. So. I, yeah. But bring in Michael Haley. Let him get beat up a little bit and <laughs> see what he can do. He's not a big guy. Like he, He's not huge for a fighter. No, but he's definitely. He's a fighter. He, yeah, he, he can definitely throw them with the best of them. He's a scrappy guy, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I have no problem with it because, you know, what's Anisim, is Anisimov really a better option? I don't know. Um, until Ryan Dezingle comes to kind of round out the roster, they don't really have a better option. So it, it kind of makes sense. You're not pulling Formanton away from Belleville, even though they're not playing games, um, to play, what, like eight minutes a night? What's the point, right? Yeah, I think Dezingle is going to, like, I think we need to stop numbering lines. I've said it before. 
DJ Smith is just going to play the best players that are playing great that game, and that's just how it's going to be. But I think, you know who wasn't talked about a lot? Is freaking Brandon Coburn in uh, in last game. He had a really solid game uh, on Sunday, and it went by relatively quietly. Oh, you felt he was solid. <laughs> See, I, I, I did not think he was solid on Sunday. I noticed I, him a few times in the first period, and I thought, man, the offense just dies every time this guy's on the ice. Like, he was hemmed in his zone. He didn't make a, like, glaringly big mistake, but at the same time, he didn't break the puck out whatsoever. Like, when you, when you watch a player like Zub, for exa- Zub, for example, he's able to wisely get the puck to Mike Riley, and he's always, you know, moving the puck forward. He's moving it out of his zone. When you watch a guy like Braden Coburn, he hesitates with the puck. He's extremely slow. He takes forever to make a play. And then he decides to rim it around the boards and it doesn't get out of the zone. Like that's, that's the little stuff that drives me crazy. Yeah. Coburn's offensive skill is lackluster at best, but I think that's what happens when you play him with Eric Branson. (laughs) Yeah. That's a recipe for a disaster. (laughs) Thankfully Shabbat is back tonight. Yeah, but I think overall, he had a good game. Like, you know, you bring him in and you expect some good defensive play from him. He he helped block box out a couple players in front of the net. He had some very good stick work that, you know, he was able to get the stick in the lanes. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, oh my God, what has this guy been doing in the last couple of games that he's played? Why can't he play like this all the game, every game? But it was definitely something where, uh, you know, everyone was worried about Coburn being in the lineup before the game. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to cost us a goal, right? Like he he wasn't out of position. He didn't get turnstiled by Perry. Uh, you know, there, he didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't do anything like great. So he was just a solid. You know, he did have a solid game, yeah, in I my think, opinion. Uh, yeah, for sure. He wasn't glaringly bad. Mike Riley had a really bad game. <laughs> I'll be honest. He he is like a roller coaster of emotions because he'll do a really bad turnover hmm. and then block the shot. Based off because of the turnover. Yeah. So some sometimes again, sometimes his decision making is questionable. And then sometimes you're like, whoa, he's like the best D on the ice. So hey. it's, you know, it's hot and cold with him. It's like the goaltending situation this year. Who knows what we're gonna get? We're gonna get good Matt Murray or really bad Matt Murray. We're gonna hey, get we got, good Hogberg or really bad Hogberg. Hey, we got really good Murray on on Sunday, and hopefully we'll get really good Murray tonight. Yeah, he also let in the first shot of the game. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're getting bad, Murray, tonight. I know what we're yeah. going to get. And then he completely turned it around. Um, at least, you know, there there is a stretch of games here, aside from taking over for Hogberg in the Leafs' 7-3 to three blowout. Um, for a large stretch of games, aside from that one where he wasn't expecting to play, he's looked rock solid. So hopefully, you know, that is a real turnaround and not something that's just kind of a facade that looks like a turnaround, but then, you know, he's going to hop back into the net tonight and have a real stinker of a game. We need consistency from the goaltending to even have a chance to win. Yeah, and I mean, let's give like let's give Suzuki credit on that goal. It was a beautiful play shot. Most goaltenders probably would have had troubles with it. Like, like Suzuki has a good shot. And he placed that really well. If I remember correctly, he went bar in. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, it was the first shot, but definitely not the first shot you want to face. No, it was a decently placed shot for sure. He was he was further back. Like, he wasn't in the prime slot. He was just outside 
of the circle, if I remember correctly. Um, and I thought it was, a st- I thought it was a stoppable puck if Murray wasn't so deep in his crease, like he played really deep. Um, but it was also the first shot of the game. So like you said, you would probably want to feel the puck a little bit more playing a, you know, an easier shot to stop. And in that case, it didn't happen. But one thing's for sure, the Montreal Canadiens are not the same Montreal Canadiens that we were so afraid of playing at the start of the season. This team looks slower. They look, they look way more dysfunctional. They're not having fun out there. Um, I, think, I, I honestly think Claude Julien needs to, like, he's the issue in my opinion. Something's going on there because I noticed during the broadcast, they're highlighting Suzuki for all these little things, trying to, like, the broadcast is trying to boost the guy's confidence. And I'm like, you know, he's not really doing much out there aside from the one goal that he scored, which was nice. I didn't notice, you know, they're really trying to go out of their way to make it look like he's doing something special and refinding his game. And to me, it was just pulling its straw. Same thing with Kakinyemi. I mean, another player that are we ever thankful that we got Brady Kachuk over because, I mean, he's not a bad player, don't get me wrong, but he's definitely not worthy of a third overall pick. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I hate Claude Julien. I hated him in Boston. I thought it was a stupid hire. By Montreal, I really think that, you know, Boston got the best coach out of that, out of Bruce Cassidy. Like I, if I, if I'm, if I'm Bergevin, I'm looking at getting rid of Julian because, you know, especially if you go from being the top team in the league, they know they're, they're sitting at what third or fourth now, uh, with Edmonton sitting second. I know Calgary shut out Toronto. Uh, I haven't actually taken a look at the standings this morning. Yeah, so they're sitting fourth. They're two points behind Calgary. If they lose tonight, and I mean they have two games in hand over Calgary, so it's not the end of the world. But you know, if they were to lose tonight against Ottawa, and then Calgary to were to win tomorrow against Toronto, you know they're tied, and Calgary plays Ottawa next. Hmm. So I don't know. I feel like if I'm Montreal, like today is kind of a must win, and Ottawa's kind of creeping up on teams. Yeah, they'll have to string together like a large number of wins, more than two in a row. That's for sure. No, but we're creeping up on teams in the bottom. Like, oh we're yeah, a point, we're yeah. a point behind Buffalo. I mean, they've played fewer games. They played two fewer games, so they have or five fewer games because we're at twenty. That's significant. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, New Jersey's only played thirteen, but we're three points behind them. The Rangers have only played sixteen, but we're four points behind them. Like. Obviously, a lot of these American teams, especially in in the Mass Mutual East, because of COVID, have struggled. But honestly, overall, like I think if Ottawa can string, like we're two points behind Detroit, so if we can string some games, like some wins together here, we can move up the standings. And you know, oddly enough, we would never say this, but oddly enough, I'm looking forward to facing Carey Price because he has really struggled this season. Like. There's actually a bit of a goaltending controversy in Montreal right now with how well Allen's played versus, you know, Carey Price. So uh, I'm interested to see if Ottawa's just going to put everything on net tonight. Yeah. You know, the surprise of the season, before we end off, the surprise of the season is definitely Chicago. They're sitting fourth in the Discovery Central with 22 points. They've played the most game or the second most games. They're tied with Columbus and or they're tied with Columbus in games and they have a game in hand over Detroit. But I don't think people even thought they'd be even sniffing the playoffs. And now they're sitting fourth with games in like 
you know, pretty I, good. I agree with you, but I'm going to one-up you on that and say the surprise of the season is the Florida Panthers. I mean, yeah. they're in, their win percentage is the best in the entire hockey league. Who was seeing that coming? They lost Dadanov. Okay, but like realistically, you still have Huberto, you still have Barkov, you have Bobrovsky. So you're hoping for a Bobrovsky turnaround. He's you know, been not even playing because Drieger has been their yeah, number one. <laughs> so Drieger has somehow taken the net from Bobrovsky. But you look at their roster, you know, and you you look at it and you're like, okay, like I like you should you should be a competitive team. I think Coach Q is really starting to wash off on them. They're playing a much better structured system. I've been watching a lot of Panthers games and they are actually a really good team. It's not yeah. just, you know, fluky numbers. They're beating good teams like Tampa. And they're actually beating them, you know, in every department. And uh, yeah, good for them. It's good to finally see the Florida Panthers maybe find the right mix of players. And uh, there's a few underrated players. Um, Carter Verhege has been a player that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. And it's like, who is this guy? And he's a scoring machine. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely interesting. But, you know, we're, we're going to have more to talk about, obviously, uh, we didn't really talk much about the Toronto series because that was just a dud, and may as well just forget about it. You know, we got <laughs> yeah. we got this. We talked about the five one collapse. The last two games were garbage. We lost both of them. We got blown out in one of them. Yeah. Um. So we don't even need to talk about that. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention before we head off? You know what? I, I posed a Twitter question, and it got a lot of responses. So I just want to get your quick take on this before we end the show. Yeah, what's Tim, up? Tim Stutzla has now played a number of games in the NHL. I don't know if you've seen the, the tweet that I sent out. Who uh, do you I, think, in your mind, is the best NHL comparable now that you've seen a large sample from Tim Stutzla? Evander, uh, not Evander, Patrick Kane. So you're sticking with the Patrick Kane. Okay, so it, a lot of people had Kane. A lot of people had Barzell. Some people said a, a blend of both of them. If you watch Kane, if you watch the first four or five years of Kane and you watch the way Tim Stutzel like carries the puck and moves the puck. Even their shots are very similar. Like I think it, he could be a better version of Kane if he sticks on the wing. Yeah. He's got the size on his, on his side there. Like this guy's going to be over 200, pa- 200 pounds. He's six foot one. He's not a small player. No, not at all. So I would expect that, like I, I like the Kane comparable. I've seen a lot of it so far. Watching both the uh, both teams, like Chicago and Ottawa this year, I like the the Kane comparable. All right, fair enough. I never answered my own tweet, but um, quite truthfully, I don't know. Like I don't see an NHL comparable in Tim Stutzla. I, I think he's his own player, and I, I I get the Patrick Kane thing. And I said before he came to Ottawa, that would be. Uh, for me, watching him in Mannheim, that was my comparable, most comparable player as well. With you know, with the hands, the agility, the way he works, the power plays very similarly. Uh, his playmaking abilities, his shooting abilities. But to me, watching Stutzla in the NHL, I really don't know. I see like a little bit of Pavel Bure if we're going way back. Um, he's got more power forward mentality, maybe a Kovalchuk. Uh, maybe a Marion Hosa. Like I, I see more power forward there than a Patrick Kane. So that's what kind of shifted my thinking. But uh, but we'll end it off right there because uh, 
it's a bit of a debate and we could go on and on with that debate and there's no right answer to it. It's just, you know, just a matter of opinion. Yeah. But like you said, we're going to end the show here. Thank you all for tuning in on this Tuesday morning. It's early for everyone. So thank you all who's tuned in. Remember to like, uh, like the video, subscribe to our YouTube page, follow us on Twitter, Instagram for updates and, uh, stay up to date on all the sense our stuff. We have some big news dropping hopefully within the next week or so. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. We'll be back live here uh, again on Thursday morning at 10 o'clock uh, a.m. Eastern time. So you won't want to miss it. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Stay safe. Follow myself, Shannon underscore Ryan 97, Derek at D Lee 075. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Take care.